Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome inside Garage Door Sports. Your no-holds-barred weekly discussion on everything in the sporting world. For all your news on hockey, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, and more, you've come to the right place. And now, it's time for your hosts, Nick McVicker, Kyle Vardy, and Irfan Manji. That's right, folks. We are back. Episode number 52 since the relaunch. Nick McVicker in studio, joined by my great co-hosts, Irfan Manji and Kyle Vardy. Irfan, how are you doing today? Good, good. Tired, but good. Join the club. <clears throat> um, and Kyle, it's a big day for you, my man. Happy birthday, buddy. We're very happy that you joined us today, even though it is your birthday. Shows my dedication to this podcast, what can I say? Um, I'm, I'm happy to talk sports again. Can't complain. I mean, that's, that's the best way to spend your birthday, isn't it? Is talking sports. True, true. <laughs> Or golfing, you know, or golfing. either or. That's the for big later deal at the end. Um, lots to talk about this week. We are going to get into the NHL and what our thoughts were from the playoffs, as well as some look into the offseason with some free agent possibilities. We will talk some NFL, but first, let's get into the kickoff sponsored by Canada Kicking Academy, calling all kickers and punters in the Southern Ontario region. If you are looking for year-round professional development with elite competition, you need to train with the Canada Kicking Academy. The Ferraro brothers, Daniel and Gabe, are both University of Guelph alumni, and after illustrious university careers, they want to teach you everything they've learned over the years. If you want to take your special teams game to the next level, you need to train with the Canada Kicking Academy. Visit them at CanadaKickingAcademy.com or follow them on Instagram at Canada Kicking Academy. And today we are joined by a very special guest, the self-proclaimed queen of college football, but more importantly, a writer on the WNBA for Sportsnet, Haley McGoldrick. How are you doing today, Haley? Good. How are you, Nick? I'm a little tired, not going to lie, but I'm here. I'm happy. Okay. <laughs> um. So we wanted to talk some WNBA, and we figured, why not bring the queen of the WNBA in Canada at the moment, Miss Haley McGoldrick, on. Haley, the playoffs are now in the finals. Game one was actually last night. Um, what have you made of the bubble playoffs so far in the WNBA? I mean, it's been insane. There's definitely been, like you saw the Connecticut Sun, who started off their season losing six of their first seven games and finished the season under 500 going and taking the first place seed to five games in the semifinals. It's definitely been a whirlwind. Teams you thought you were going to do great. You know, the 2019 defending champions, Washington, of course, they were without Elena Deladon, Tina Charles. They were without a lot of their key players, but they barely slipped into the playoffs and then lost in the first round. You know, it was kind of, everyone expected Las Vegas and Seattle to be here, but they definitely took different roads to get there. And it's even yesterday's game, like, it was only a 13-point game, which is a lot, but Brianna Stewart played out of her mind, like, just insane performance. Joelle Lloyd did, too. The two of them combined for 65 points. Like, that's insanity. It really is. It, it really is. And it was an entertaining game to watch. Watching Sue Bird absolutely pick apart that uh, Vegas defense in the second quarter. 12 assists, I think, she had in the second quarter alone, which is just ridiculous. But uh, it's incredible to watch that team play right now. 
Yeah, no, it's amazing. I definitely the storm coming into the season, the storm were the team to beat. And in the regular season, although they lost both their games to Vegas, the first one, Sue Bird wasn't playing in the second one, both Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart weren't playing. And of course on the Vegas end, Derek Hamby's out sixth one of the year, huge loss off the bench. But in the same breath, the storms missing Sammy Whittacombe off their bench. Uh, it's definitely the Storms to lose. I think the Aces have the fight in them. They're not going to get swept the same way Minnesota did. They definitely are going to come back. Asia Wilson, she still scored 19 points, but it was the first time in three games she hasn't scored a double-double, and that makes a difference. She basically single-handedly won the last series over Connecticut, so they really need her to step up and be able to play. Angela McCautry's in her 11th season, and she played her entire career before in Atlanta, and now she's in the WNBA Finals with a team that just kind of rebuilt three years ago. So it's definitely Seattle's to lose, but I'm really rooting for Vegas to come and do something. Absolutely. Irfan, you want to go next? Yeah, of course. Um, so you kind of alluded to the storm. Do you think they're, they're going to win it this year, or do you still believe that the Aces and Wilson are going to propel this team to the next phase? See, if Derek Hamby was playing, I think that they would have more of a chance. Like, There's been times this season where Derek Hamby's putting up 23 points as a bench player. You don't really see that much. But with Joelle Lloyd, Brianna Stewart, Subert, Subert only put up two points, but 16 assists in the game. Like, she's a difference maker on defense. Alicia Clark, who's an all-defensive team nominee, she was unanimously picked to the all-defensive team. Um, like, Mercedes Russell, Jordan Cannon off the bench. I just don't think the Storm could be beat because they're so well-rounded. And the Aces just don't have that right now. Like I said, they're in their third year of kind of a rebuild. They relocated to Vegas three years ago. They got Jackie Young last year, Asia Wilson the year before that. But they're still a very young, well, kind of young, newish team. But I just don't think they have it in them to beat such a well-rounded and veteran Seattle team. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, of vets, you know, we have Tarosi, we have Parker, we have Sue Bird. They're all, you know, older in age now. Um, who do you think is ready to take over the banner for the WNBA? Like, you have so many great young players, but who do you think could be the face of the franchise, who can be the face of it moving forward? Uh, well, definitely Brianna Stewart. She's incredible. She just obviously 2018 MVP. She's only 26 years old and is going for her second WNBA title already. One rookie of the year MVP, finals MVP 2018. Skylar Dingen Smith is doing amazing things for Phoenix. Like she had so four or five games in a row where she was scoring like 22 plus points. Skylar Dingen Smith is amazing. Obviously, Asia Wilson, she's 24 years old and she's already the league MVP and was rookie of the year in her first year. Like, She's incredible, and she's 24. I think there's a lot of young talent still. Even looking at all the rookies, like Crystal Dangerfield, who was 16th overall picked, which she's the rookie of the year this year, the lowest ever picked rookie of the year. But Kennedy Carter was amazing until her injury. I think Sabrina Inescu is going to have a huge year next year. so unfortunate that she got injured this year, but she's definitely not going to hold that, you know, and be like, oh, I'm not playing in the WNBA anymore. Of course, she's a fighter. You saw that at Oregon, she went back to do her master's to play for one more year. She's going to do great things in New York next year. Even Kia Nurse, good old Canadian Kia Nurse. You know, she's only in her third season, and people said she was going through a slump and having a bad year. She was still the top scorer for the New York Liberty, but they were without Asia Durr. Obviously, Sabrina Inescu got hurt. Like They had a bunch of trades. Like This was Laisha Clarendon's first year on the team. It was definitely trying to get into that rhythm and have that cohesion while you're in this weird bubble in Florida in this weird circumstance. Like it was definitely an off year, but I think there's big things to come from a lot of these younger teams. Absolutely. Yeah. Kyle questions. Hold on as he unmutes himself. 
<laughs> give him a second. He'll figure it out. We believe in him on his birthday. <laughs> Maybe. Well, let, I'll, I'll ask another question. You you mentioned Kia Nurse and uh, some of the young players. Um, how has the WNBA sort of helped facilitate the growth of Canadian basketball in uh, in the women's side as well? Honestly, I wish they would do it a bit more. I know definitely um, the coverage that they've been getting a bit more is awesome. But right now there's only four Canadians playing in the league. There is five, but one of the players, I can't remember her name for the life of me, right now opted out. But the four are Kia Nurse, Bridget Carlton, Natalie Chanwa, and Kayla Alexander. There's only four of them. I think that comes more at the Canadian level, though. And I think Canadian basketball is doing a really good job of growing the women's game and just basketball in Canada in general. Obviously, Canada's seen as like a hockey place, but they've done a really good job of growing Canadian basketball. But I think just being able to expose a lot of those names and just women's sports in general, that's always the problem. You know, women's sports coverage, putting women's sports on TV. So I don't think it's a lack of Canadian talent, although obviously when there's only four players, you're kind of like, where is the rest of the Canadian talent? Meanwhile, the entire like USA basketball team plays in the W. But I think definitely trying to grow the game in Canada itself is going to help that. But I would love to see more Canadian names. Having only four is like a slap in the face. There's definitely more talented Canadian basketball players than that. Absolutely. Kyle, did you figure out your microphone over there, buddy? Yeah, I got a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going over the house right now. So I, my microphone just decided to not work for a second. Um, and actually, the way you asked that question actually perfectly way into mine. Mine's less about the actual players themselves, but more about the league. Um, it seems like this year there was a lot more coverage and actual TV opportunities for this league. Um, do you think the, that the bubble kind of helped with that, allowing more coverage and allowing more games to actually be shown and more of the, I guess, the stardom that really happened in this league to be shown better? A little bit. It definitely timing helped as well. Like Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA, um, reported that viewership was up 68% this year, which is insane. But it's definitely those opportunities. Obviously, the WNBA is a league that runs through the summer. But when you usually have MLB, MLS, whatever EPL games are on during the summer, those are going to take precedence. But it just so happened that the timing was that basically the WNBA was the only thing that was on other than the Challenge Cup. So those things were on TV and people actually got to watch them. Obviously, we know, like, I don't know why people think if you advocate for women's sports, you're trying to say women's sports are better than men's sports. It's literally never the argument, but we're very aware that women's sports are going to take a back burner to men's sports always because men's sports bring in more money. We get that. But when they have nothing to air and they put those women's sports on TV, people watched it. It wasn't like people would rather just not watch sports at all than watch a woman play sports. People watched it and they loved it. And there was a lot of new WNBA fans who just had never had that chance for exposure. And even still, Obviously, the finals are being aired on TV, but the last couple games of the regular season when the NBA was back and NHL was back, they were impossible to find. So being able to have that exposure early in the season, I think, got people hooked and they thought, wow, these women are so talented. I want to keep watching this. And that's how you get it, because otherwise you're watching weird illegal Reddit streams or finding it in like yeah. channels that are in French. Like you're just trying to do whatever. And people who are just casual fans aren't going to go to those lengths. No. I'm going to go to those lengths. Yes. But somebody who's just sitting on their couch who kind of enjoys basketball, they don't care that much. They'll go watch poker on TV before they go find some stream to watch the WNBA. Yeah, yeah it's true so, for 100%. I was going to say, so so going with that, what do you think the next step is to really gain, you know, is it is it a, uh, you know, a television network saying, hey, this is our network, this is going purely for WNBA games, or 
what's really the next step in order to get you know increased exposure because we got a taste of it during this whole pandemic era i guess is what you could call it um but the real next step is trying to get you know sustained exposure really so you can truly grow that viewership yeah absolutely i think signing some sort of deal would be great even sportsnet now just signed a two-year deal with the fa women's super league it's not on tv but it's on sportsnet now that's great i don't even have cable in my apartment so i watch it on my computer and if the fa women's super league is on i'm gonna watch that absolutely i know DAZN does a bunch of sports getting on platforms like that a lot of people i don't think really have traditional cable anymore obviously it still exists but getting into those streaming platforms you know hulu has live sports now and things like that just getting those kind of deals in because before i think primarily they were just on espn and abc but they're on like espn 3 and abc 2 they're on those back channels they'd be lucky getting to get that, on espn 3 though that was the problem it was always like espn 6 yeah which most people don't even get on cable anyway Exactly. So just having that exposure and signing a deal like that is definitely necessary. Obviously, it's the money involved and sometimes networks don't want to take that hit. But I think seeing the numbers like 68% increased viewership is insane. And that's just because it got to be put on TSN at 4pm because they had nothing else to put on there. Like that's insane. So definitely trying to look to the future and sign something like that is the key to growing the game for sure. Nick, I got one more. Go for it, man. Or sorry, Irfan, you were literally able to talk. I could hear the breath. When... No, no, go for it. Finish it up. Um, so I saw that you know uh, there was definitely some games like on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like live streaming. Do you think that's probably more likely than an actual television deal? It's hard to say. Like probably yes, but the thing is, like women don't want that. Like that's what we have now, but. That's not going to grow the game. Like you said, nobody's going to just go watch a Facebook live stream of, you know, even on the computer, it's like, I'm going to watch it on Sportsnet now because I know it's on at 3 p.m. and that's where I want to watch it. But like Facebook live stream is like weird, laggy camera work and stuff. It's not like super professional and just doesn't give the women the justice and credit they deserve. And I think there's a lot of traditional sports fans as well who just want to watch it on TV. Like even the FA Women's Super League deal is amazing for people like me who watch a lot of stuff on their computer anyways, but a lot of people just want to watch it on TV. So I do appreciate that even the bare minimum is being done, but you know, you literally have weird like English premiership games on with it's Watford playing like whoever Huddersfield. Yeah. <laughs> and then you don't have the best players in women's basketball being played on. Like it just, you know, it's kind of an injustice there. And I think that as much as any exposure is good exposure, they definitely need to have something like set in stone with a big network and not just like Facebook or YouTube TV. Because like I said, only the diehard fans are going to go watch that kind of thing. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I was going to toss in something about Twitch. I know the NWSL does a good job with Twitch, but they're also partnered with the CBS. So I think what it would be is you would need a platform like Facebook, but you would also need ESPN to, to work in partnership with it. So I agree with, there with you. Um, something I've noticed, I think, throughout the last couple of months is that the WNBA has done a fantastic job speaking up for social injustices and Black Lives Matter. And I think out of every league that we've seen, they've done the best job. Do you think that because they're so resolute and they're so able to like they're so fierce about it that they're getting good publicity from it, that people are tuning in a little bit more because, you know, the ladies are standing up for it, but they're also willing to play. 
Um, it's, I think it's both good and bad publicity. I mean, any publicity is good publicity, as they say. But, you know, you definitely, you have these people who are standing up for what they believe. In. And, like, as a woman already, you are a little bit oppressed and you definitely have injustice you have to deal with in life. But this is a league with 80% black women. And one of the team's owners is straight up like, I don't agree with Black Lives Matter. And you own a team that all of your players are black. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. But definitely... Like, I think people who enjoy things like that, they're definitely going to pay more attention. Like, even Brianna Stewart, who's a white woman, but she's had one of the loudest voices. Like, she constantly, even her post-game presser yesterday, she was wearing a Vote Warnock shirt, who is opposing um, Senator Kelly Loeffler, who owns the Atlanta Dream. But there's also some people who already are just going to hate on the WNBA because they're women. And then the added social justice part, they're just going to hate on it, just to hate on it. And it makes me laugh because I know that I would love to see some random man sitting in his mom's basement go play against Brianna Stewart, have fun. You say you could beat her. I'd love to see her just dunk on you for like 30 minutes straight. I'd pay good money to see that. But I think it's, you know, people who are for that are going to pay more attention to the WNBA and be like, wow, yes, this is a league that aligns with my views of social justice and, you know, speaking out for others who don't have the same platform as me. But people who want to just hate to hate are going to continue to, and they're just going to find any and every reason to write off the league. Absolutely. I don't I don't think we could have said it any better, unfortunately. Um, we are we love I've loved watching the NBA this year. This is the first season that I've really been able to get into it because, as you said, it was very hard to find before. and I didn't have time to find it. Um, one player I want to ask you about. And it's it's totally off the cuff, but. Arike Agungbowale, what do you think of her? F- uh, this was her first year in the league. She came out on fire and actually led the league in scoring in the regular season. What do you think she's going to be in this league? Is she going to be the next set of superstar with Brianna Stewart and Ionescu? Yeah, she's amazing. Like, oh, my God. She came out here. What was her highest game? Like 39 points. It's insane. The thing is, to be good, though, you do have to have some good people around you. There's not a lot of people who can just come into a league and changed an entire team. And I think that's what a lot of people were expecting from New York. And even the Aces, yes, Asia Wilson's amazing, but she's got Hamby there. She's got McCautry there. But Dallas doesn't really have anybody. You know, they drafted Satu Sabali this year, but they didn't really have any of those big names. And she came out there, and she was that big name. And obviously, they didn't make it to the playoffs, which I think, with the way they have the single elimination format, she might have been able to have one of her amazing games and get them a bit further to one of those best-of-five series. But she's definitely a superstar. She's going to be continue to be amazing. But it's hard to you know, win games even when you're amazing if you don't have amazing players around you. Or even that cohesion, not to say any other player isn't great, but when you're trying to find how your team works. Like, look at New York. They Sabrina Nescu's third game, or her second game, she scored 33 points as a rookie. Yeah. But... New York doesn't really, at that point, didn't really have that cohesion, didn't really know what was going on. And so they still lost that game, even though she dropped 33 points. So Erika is amazing. She's definitely going to be a superstar. She already is a superstar. She's doing amazing things. But I think Dallas just needs to work a little bit more, maybe make a few more moves. But I can see a bright future from her, of course. Awesome. Well, that'll do it. Thank you so much for joining us, Haley. Um, As I said, that'll do it for our uh, kickoff segment sponsored by Canada Kicking Academy. If you're looking for year-round professional development with elite competition, you need to train with the Canada Kicking Academy. 
you want to follow them, you can visit them at CanadaKickingAcademy.com or follow them on Instagram at CanadaKickingAcademy. We'll be right back after a quick break, and we will talk some NFL and NHL. Haley, once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Haley. Thanks, Haley. Welcome back. Let's jump right into the NFL conversation. We are now on, what is it, week four, five? God, I can't keep up. Um, Lots of interesting games have happened in the first three and one game so far. uh, Three weeks and one game so far in the NFL season. Um, I want to get your opinions, guys, so let's start with you, Kyle. Um, What has been your biggest surprise maybe so far in the NFL season? Um, I guess surprise. Well, up until this week, I was going to say no positive COVID tests, but that doesn't mm-hmm. work. Um, to be honest, I think the biggest surprise is probably the actual level of competition that's actually going on. Um, we were saying before how there was a lot of teams that, you know, were dead bottom of the division. Um, very similar to what, like I, we were talking about before, like in baseball with the Marlins, right? Marlins weren't going to do anything. They were going to come out of nowhere. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, teams are actually competing. Teams are being a lot closer, right? Um, to me, I, I, I look at, you know, the Jaguars' first two weeks. We expected nothing out of them. And all of a sudden, they beat the Colts. And then they, you know, and in week three, they shit the bed against the Miami Dolphins. So it's like, it, it's just the level of competition keeps going up. And then it's, it's honestly, it's a coin flip sometimes on some of these teams competing. And uh, I just wasn't expecting that coming into the season. Yeah, fair enough. Irfan, what about you, man? What, what's your biggest surprise? I was kind of hoping that we didn't have to go have COVID talk. Like, there's no COVID. We're good for five weeks. We're good for six weeks, you know. But in reality, I think a lot of the teams that we expected to be good are good, which is great. But then you talk about the Falcons, who can't hold a damn lead. The Bills almost blowing a lead last week. Um, the Pats getting handed a loss to the Seahawks, you know. And the Chiefs being the Chiefs. I mean... It's it's stories that I expected and expected to see, but at the same time, you know, you're seeing guys hit another gear. Like Patrick Mahomes has been fantastic. Um, took apart uh, Lamar Jackson's team, and you would think that, oh yeah, you know, Lamar's a an MVP of last year. He'll do better. Didn't make a difference, right? Um, what else? Like you look at how good uh, Russ Wilson is. He continues to show, and you know, everyone goes, well, the Cowboys could be better, and they're still not there yet. So, I mean, <laughs> the stories are there. Um, but uh, some of them are surprising, but some of them at the same time, you're like, well, I expected to see this. And it's super early. So, I mean, I'd probably give you a better uh, recap halfway through the season when everyone's sort of like got it into it and be like, okay, you know what? Like, this is a big surprise. Or, you know, this one's, ah, you know what? We expected this. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think, I think the biggest surprise for me out of the season is two division Two teams that I thought might be not only competing in the division but might win their division are 0-3 to start the year in the Vikings and the Texans. That's a bit of a surprise to me. Like I wasn't sure that the Texans were going to win the division. I, I thought they would compete at least for the first-place team. I know their coach-GM monstrosity that has been is uh, is a bit of a mess, but I still thought they would compete for the division. They're 0-3, and they haven't really looked good. Um 
And then on the flip side, you get the Minnesota Vikings who have shown spurts of being very good in games but have absolutely no leadership to get them to the end of a game. It's not as bad as the Falcons necessarily, but that Falcons team is still putting up stupid amounts of points. The Vikings are not. So that there's your difference right there. And I think maybe the biggest surprise out of all of them, and I'm not even trying to be a homer here, this is this genuinely surprised me, is the fact that the Packers lead, lead the league in points this year through f- three weeks. That's... That's ridiculous, considering we didn't get any offensive weapons for Aaron Rodgers. He's either angry and trying to show everyone that it doesn't matter who you put with him, or he's angry and trying to show everyone that he needs a new contract somewhere else. Uh, He's a rejuvenated Rodgers. I mean, that's the most deadly combination that you want to see. I don't think you want to wake up the the lion or the tiger, whatever the saying is, but I think it continues. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, But... I think it continues like he has a he has an agenda and I think he wants to prove that uh, you did draft a QB. But I'm going to tell you now I'm better than anybody you're going to draft in the next <laughs> 10 years. Let's let's well, go with that. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest thing for him, too, is he actually has a run game now. Yeah, he has something yeah. to support him. That's the biggest thing. Right. Before we knew Aaron Rodgers, was Aaron Rodgers, but he had no supporting cast behind him to help. Him. Yeah. Now he has a legitimate running back who now teams can't play purely for the pass and like drop everybody in coverage, right? That was the biggest problem with Green Bay before is that everybody could drop in the coverage because they knew you had no running back to run the ball anyways. But now you have Aaron Jones who can, one, run the ball, and two, catch the ball out of the backfield. So he's kind of a dual threat for Aaron Rodgers. And now you're truly seeing what he can really do. And it's it's one of those ones where it's, we, we knew Green Bay was going to be good. Did we know they were going to be this good? No, because we didn't know what, the, what that was going to really entail, right? Yeah. He said their yeah. defense last year was great, and they've been – good this year i wouldn't say they've been great this year by any means it's been really that offense has carried it really what it is no for sure and i mean you look at the you look at that rush stat they are second in the league in total rush yards through three weeks trailing only the patriots by 19 rush yards but the patriots has also rushed it 12 more times yeah right like that's that's a very telling stat and if you look at the past few years you're not getting that on a green bay team they haven't had a rushing game for a while so it's nice to have that, and it's it's a way to build the team. And it's I'm I'm genuinely surprised that they look as good as they have through three weeks because they didn't have necessarily the easiest of schedules. Um, anything that you guys are looking forward to maybe this week uh, to watch? Irfan, maybe we'll start with you. Any game that you're looking sure. forward to? Um, I think I'm keeping a close eye on the Bears. They transitioned between Trubinsky to Foles, right? So. I want to see how long that continues. I mean, Foles looked much better on his outing when he took over, um, helped them win. So I think I keep an eye out on that to see if they go back to Drabinsky, if Foles struggles in the next couple of weeks. But um, clearly there's a better quarterback starting now, and I think that's what the Bears need is somebody that can play call a little bit better. Hold on. The Bears are 3-0. and Can we also make that I, as a comment? Yeah. <laughs> and the Browns are also over 500 for the first time in how long? So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, Kyle, game that you're maybe looking for, maybe one that you bet on specifically? Every game. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, to be honest, there's not a whole lot of games I'm actually looking forward to. I don't think there's going to be a lot of great games. The Colts-Bears ones would be good, I think. Um, the Colts were, you know, that hot team that had the, probably one of the big, bigger impacts in uh, free agency in the offseason and trying to get better on that team. 
Um, didn't really work out week one, but they've looked better in the last two weeks. So we'll see how that one goes. Um, to me, probably the most the most interesting game I think this week is probably going to be the Bills Raiders. I think it's probably going to be the closest game. Um, the Raiders were hot stepping into New England and then pretty much got absolutely shut down essentially until like a last second touchdown really right. happened. Um, and then the Bills were up 28-3 at half and then almost choked the full lead to the Rams. So Who are a good team. Let's, let's, well, yeah. I want to make sure that that's very clear. The Rams are a good football team. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I think it's one of those ones, and I think, you know, it happens to a lot of teams. I think Bills defense and offense got up, hey, we're up 28-3, take a step back, Not we're good. Bad. And then all of a sudden the Rams were like, hey, let's play football and let's actually show up. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and then it actually made it a very interesting game. You know, it came down to a, like, 10 seconds left on the clock, getting a touchdown to win the game. It's one of those ones where I think um, it's two teams really having to bounce back. The Bills got out the skin of their teeth, but they they really have to have a game where they bounce back and just put up a strong effort, Um, especially with the Pats losing Newton this week and going up against the Chiefs. Potentially a two-game lead in that division, and that's huge. Um, if the Pats don't pull it out against the Chiefs this week, you know, it'd be four and overs is two and two. That's a a big league, especially in the AFC East. Um, Absolutely. And then the, the Raiders just trying to keep pace in that, in that division um, with the Chiefs themselves, right? Because Chiefs are 3-0, Raiders are 2-1. Because the Chargers and Broncos, sorry to say, but they don't look good. Uh, especially, you know, with the Chargers when you have your doctor puncturing, puncturing your quarterback's lung. It's uh, not exactly the greatest look on your team. Um, but other than that, I can see a lot of blowouts this week. Seattle against Miami, good luck. Um <laughs> The Bucks, even without Godwin going up against the Chargers, still I, I like the Bucks there. Um, Herb, like if Herbert starts, it could be entertaining, but it, it could be. Um, but I, I think I think now that Brady's got three weeks under his belt, yeah. Season. I'm just saying it could be entertaining. I don't see the Chargers sure. winning. I don't see the Chargers. Um, winning, yes, the only other the only other game I, I'd really be interested in is that 49ers Eagles game. Eagles have looked god awful to start the season, uh, but they need to bounce back real quick. And with uh, with Garoppolo still out for the Niners, it's all on Mullins. He looked good last week, don't get me wrong, but um, we'll see if he can continue it for multiple weeks. That's the biggest question. So yeah. that would be another yeah. game I'm interested in. Fair. Yeah, I think you, you nailed most of them. Uh, Bills Raiders will be a fun one. The game that I thought was going to be the most entertaining to watch um, is no longer happening. I wanted to watch the Chiefs-Patriots. Like That was the game that I was interested in watching. That game just got postponed. So, what happens there? Like, we know there was multiple positive tests on the Patriots today. Or at least I I knew that. Um, It'll be interesting to see how this sort of plays out. We've already had one game pushed to week seven, I think. The Steelers. uh, I think it's week eight because they'll get the the other team's going to get week seven by, I believe. Okay. So that one's already been pushed, and now this one is being postponed as of today. We're on Saturday Mm -hmm. before the game. Like, that's a big deal. Um, I mean, I I will always watch the Packers game, and to be fair, the Falcons have played in very entertaining games so far through three weeks. Three very entertaining games so far through three Mm -hmm. weeks. Um, They just can't win. (laughs) So, no, they can't hold a lead while they're at it. And right? now they're and going up against the... a team who scores. So that yeah. could be very interesting. 
maybe they won't get up in a, in the game and they'll play hard the whole game. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll kind of have to see how that one plays out on <laughs> Monday night. Um, uh, any final thoughts there for NFL, Irfan? Uh, I thought the Broncos fan situation was great. They got the whole South Park crew in the stands, like in the cutout things uh, versus the Pats. I thought that was a, a great little fan thing. Um, it makes you laugh, but it also keeps you entertained because, you know, there's no fans allowed or there's no such, you know, you can't really be there to support your team, but you you know that they're taking a good comical look at supporting it that way. And obviously they're not going to be killing that division. They're one in three right now, but um, it's just good to see for sure from a fan's perspective, I have to say. Absolutely. All right. Well, that'll do it for our NFL talk. Um, we're going to hop one more quick break and then we'll hop into the NHL conversation. So we will join you right back after this. One more segment here, boys. Let's get right into the NHL conversation. And let's, before we get into free agency, before we get into the fun of the offseason, obviously we need to look back. And this was the season that never seemed to want to end, but it has finally ended. And we have a new Stanley Cup champion in the Tampa Bay Lightning. I want to get your thoughts on the finals. I want to get your thoughts on the bubble itself and everything that went into it. So, Kyle, let's start with you. Um, give me your bubble thoughts and then the finals thoughts. Um, the bubble, I think, was, you know, honestly, it worked pretty well, I think. Um, you know, it, it's the, the two locations, I think, was probably the best case scenario in what it really needed to happen. Um, and in a way, it worked because I don't think there was really any uh, touch and go or anything like that where there was really any question about the season continuing. Um, and as regards to the actual final themselves, um, I had higher hopes for Dallas, but in, in reality, I think, I think their defense let them down, which was their strong point going into the finals. Um, you know, their, their defense kind of let them down, which kind of exposed Kudobin as kind of the goalie we, we thought he was going into the playoffs. Um, but at the same time, he kind of held them in some of those games as well. So it was one of those, I think, I think the better team won. I'll give them that. Um, Tampa finally got over the hump, finally got it done. Uh, Patty Maroon's back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, I'll put it that way. Um, maybe he's a good luck charm, you never know. Um, but I, I think, I think honestly, Tampa deserved to win. They had the, the better all-around team. Um, everybody stepped up, everybody did their job. And uh, overall, I think it's, it's weird to say during this whole pandemic, but I think the playoffs were actually a success for the NHL. Yeah, I would agree, honestly, 100% that they were a success. They went through basically three months of bubble life almost three months of bubble life Mm -hmm. and didn't have any positive tests like that's huge they managed to keep everybody inside that bubble and yes it might not have been perfect for the players and we there was the espn article that sort of shone a light with some unnamed players but they managed to play very competitive hockey and it was it was fun so i i agree with you 100 percent irfan what about your bubble thoughts and then finals thoughts um, I thought the NHL did a f- great job. I mean, for something that we didn't think there would be a season, first of all, um, I thought Gary Bettman did a good job. I thought his staff did a good job. I thought the NHL PA did a good job, kind of bringing everything together. And 
you know, everyone's like, well, the compete level is going to be different, but I don't think it was different. I think the players knew that the Stanley Cup meant something, that it's something to fight for, regardless if there's fans or not. Like, it means something. It isn't going to be an asterisk besides your name if you're a winner. Um, and the teams were hungry. Like, you saw Montreal play better. They they were on a high for most of the, most of the playoffs there. You know, you saw Dallas, who didn't really have a number one goalie. And, like, obviously in the finals, he'd open look like a backup, but... Like, you see these teams going, we're hungry, we can win. And you saw a lot of the minnows do the same thing, right? And it's a cup. You're fighting for a cup. And I thought everyone's, everyone in Toronto, everyone in Edmonton did a great job keeping the players safe and keeping, uh, you know, keeping the fans interested for sure. I mean, albeit I was disappointed with the way how they handled some situations. Obviously, we all were. But overall, um, in terms of if we're focusing on play and we're focusing on the safety of players, I think they did a really good job with that. And moving to the finals quickly, uh, the best team won. I mean, Tampa should have been there last year, right? Like that's, that's what they were designed for last year and the year before. And we can even go all the way back to 2015 when they were young, but you know, they lost against the Hawks, but they were young, but they were still a very, very good team then. Uh, this just came to fruition now, and I think a big shout-out goes to Steve Eiserman for building the core of that team, and then obviously Brisbane continuing and making the smart deals towards the end of the season with Coleman and Goudreau, right? So overall, the best team won, um, and Dallas, uh, hey, if Dallas can continue to play the, the way they did and get a healthy playoffs out of Ben Bishop, I think it would have been a different different scenario. Yeah, No, I <clears throat> I agree, sorry can't speak right now um it was it was entertaining to watch and that was the biggest concern i think going into the bubble was how entertaining would the hockey be with no fans how intense would the hockey be without having fans in the crowd to pump the players up i thought the players did a great job getting themselves pumped up and they i think they they stepped up to a very odd situation and made the best of it which I think is a testament to every single team. All 24 teams that entered the bubble at one point all played their hearts out. Um, maybe not Boston to the same extent as everybody else, and they, but they, but they said that outright that they didn't mm-hmm. feel they didn't feel like it was hockey. You didn't hear that from mm-hmm. any other team. No, right? Because they were losing and they weren't happy about it. So, but even before they started losing, like. Rask said the first game, it didn't feel like hockey. Like, it didn't feel like playoff mm-hmm. hockey, right? So they might not have had the same mindset, but for the most part, it looked like everyone else bought in, right? And mm-hmm. they they put on a pretty good show. Tampa was the best team. I have a very fun question that came up in one of my classes this, I guess it was last week, um, regarding Steven Stamkos. Mm. Is he on the same level when it comes to injury-plague superstars as a, I'm, I know the two biggest names are obviously Bobby or Eric Lindros. Like, would he no. be the would he be the third biggest superstar with the most injury plague career? Kyle said no. no first. No, but I'm not. I'm not saying he's on no. that level. I'm saying is he the third guy? No, Pavel Bure is third. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pavel Bure is a better overall player than Stephen Stamkos, hundred percent. Okay. He had more of an impact. Stephen Stamkos really had two good years, and then he got a superstar. Title. Persona about him, I guess, is what Got you could say. <laughs> yeah, because honestly, he had, he had, he's a great school goal scorer, goal scorer, but at the same time, when he was having those great years, people were considering like, him side-by-side side with Ovechkin. Now I don't even think he's in like Ovechkin's rearview mirror. I think he's way behind that. Yeah, that's what happens uh, when you don't play games. And, that, and that's what I mean. I think, I think does, does he have the potential to be up there? Sure. 
will he ever be considered, you know, one of the greats? No, he won't. Okay. Um, I don't think he has, well, now he has a Stanley Cup behind him. So now it's all of a sudden now people are probably going to raise him up into more than he should be. He didn't, he played 10 minutes in a Stanley Cup run. Two. Two less Played than two fifty-seven, forty-seven, two forty-seven. Same difference. No, that's actually so, significantly less, Kyle. <laughs> so it's one of those like, like, yes, he has a Stanley Cup now. Did he actually win a Stanley Cup? No, he did. His team did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's the biggest thing is where people, you know, do, can you say Ovechkin won a Stanley Cup? Hundred percent. Ovechkin carried that team. Did Stamkos carry the team? No, because he's not even the, he's not even the top superstar on that team. Because Kucherov is and. To be on that, that Hedman's probably more of a superstar than Stamkos is right now. Mm-hmm. Right, so you, you got you got Kucherov and, and and Hedman that are above him, and you know he's he's third fiddle. So it, it, to me, you go back to like Detroit, right? You have Datsuk, Zetterberg, and then who? Holmstrom maybe. Yeah, yeah. Johan Franzen. Yeah, yeah. Like, Wait, like, it depends me, on when, me, like Lindstrom years or. No, no, I'm talking more like like third fiddle forward or third or second fiddle forward. Like okay. to me, like yeah, Holmstrom then probably. To me, he's like the next step back of where a superstar would be right now. Okay. And yeah, hundred percent. That's injuries, but I still think you know Bobby Orr, Burray, those type of players made a huge impact when they were healthy, and Stamkos I think had maybe a slight impact compared to them. Okay, fair enough. Irfan, do you want to add on anything or? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm a little bit on the fence for this one just because, you know, yes, he was so dominant. Like, he's able to score 50-plus goals. Like, that's his capability. Like, that's his ability to get there. Like, he can be the best player in the league one season when he's healthy, right? And that's that's the massive question mark. Is he as dominant as Eric Lindros was? No. Uh, is he as dominant as Powell Bray was for his spurts? I don't think so, but... Um, maybe he'd be the top five, top six player that is injury riddled, but can't get healthy, right? Like he's not the best three, but he's definitely top five, maybe question mark. I don't know. Like I, I still, yeah. Okay. I mean, he has a ring, which obviously Kyle's right in the sense that, that now he's going to be a little bit higher than he was before. But, but you also compare the fact that he played less than three minutes, still scored a great goal. Like he still has that impact on his team whether you want to give him the leadership aspect or the fact that, well, Stammer's in the lineup, he goes and scores, but then he doesn't play, right? So, like, he still has a massive impact. But currently, I think Kyle's right that you have Kucherov, you have Hedman, and then I think you put Braden Point third, right? Like, Braden Point filled in the shoes admirably, and I think we saw how good Braden Point can be uh, when there's no Steven Stamkos. Now, I'm just, you know, that question is when Stammer is healthy, that that team's even better than they were, and it's it's a scary thought that they could be better than they are. So he makes them better, but I mean, at the same time, just I would like to see a healthy season out of him to give that comparison to see um, does he really weigh in and like impact that team as much as we think he does. Fair enough. No, it was it was brought up in my class. I thought it would be fun to have that conversation with you two boys here. Um, Hold on, I'll ask you this question. Uh oh. Do you think do you think he's above Peter Forsberg? Yes. Do which, you think he's above which Peter is very, Forsberg? Which is very hard for me to say. Okay. But because it's more because Forsberg played on some great teams and had I think Forsberg was dominant on great teams 
for a long time. There was a couple of years where Stamkos was dominant on crappy teams. Mm. Um, yeah. And Forsberg has two rings, I believe, with Colorado. Um, and had some deep playoff runs. Stamkos has one now. One ring, yeah, a couple of deep playoff he runs. He wasn't with he wasn't with Lightning before that. Um, I, I I was in my the question. I think it was. I don't know if I worded it properly, but like the most injury riddled star, just to, just not to get where he needs to be. Mm. Um, right. So I think Forsberg got everything that people expected from him. He missed years, but when he was on the ice, he was as good as everyone expected. Stamkos has missed lots of portions of years, mm-hmm. and but he still got we got one cup, right? Forsberg yeah. had two. I don't know. Like I think if it's that question specifically, I think Stamkos is rated Ooh. higher, but I don't know. So I think just a follow up for you guys then. Sid missed a chunk of his career, right? Like he he had a couple of years where he wasn't. Yeah, but he won he won trophies and. He but he's always been better, right? Like he'd yeah. be in that top. Yeah. Yeah. Just just put in, yeah. Yeah. So so then like other people you could really talk about would be like Cam Neely, right? Cut his his career was cut short at thirty one, yet still had seven hundred points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cam Neely could like, be up there too. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's like, it's like one of those like it's it's really I guess it's really depending on what the actual definition of. If injuries weren't involved, where would their career be? Right, right. Because if, if Forsberg didn't have those injuries, where it, it took him out of the, the yeah, took out took out of his career for like three or four years, really, is what it was. Because he yeah, tried to make a comeback when, it came, when, it, yeah, come when it came down to it. It was three or four years. Yeah, it was one of those ones. So if those injuries weren't there, would we be talking about Forsberg as like a top ten, top fifteen player in the league? Right now, he has nine hundred points. Right, you think about it. Yeah, if, if there's no injuries there, you're looking at maybe twelve hundred maybe 1,300 points, because yeah. especially when you're playing back then, a lot of players had 120-plus points a year. Yeah. Right? So it's one of those, we were talking about that. Cam Neely, if he if his knee doesn't break down on him, does Boston win a hell of a lot more cups than they did? Right? Yeah, it's, does, it's does, a fair question. And it's one of those, to, to me, is if Stamkos is fully healthy, does he bring the lightning over the top? Maybe. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I think, I, I, don't say, I think it's hard to say this year because the one. This is the year that, that he wasn't there for the playoff run, and they won anyway. Like, it, yeah. If he was there, does he put them over the top? Well, what's over the top of winning the cup? Yeah, and, and I think that's the biggest question. Is like sweeping. I think the biggest question would be: Would he bring that team? You know, sweep every team, or would he technically be almost a detriment to that team based on how they've currently played this year? Yeah. Right. Would his style of play really played into how they play? I don't know because one, you wouldn't have had Palat do what he did. You wouldn't have Kalorn step up. Those guys wouldn't have been able to take those next steps and really bring this team to a championship. They wouldn't have they played wouldn't have seven defensemen in the New York Islanders series. They would have just gone yeah. with six. Does that change that Islanders series? Like, yeah, there's so yeah. many questions that would would For come sure. up. Um, I, I like your guys' build off questions there. Um, but let's let's move on because I do want to talk free agency. We don't. We got about twelve minutes left, maybe depending on how this goes. Um, as we were going to talk about it, three signings happened this morning, and the goaltending pool is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, Brian Elliott was the first one to sign this morning. Uh, he signed a one-year deal, 1.5, with Philly. Robin Leonard, a massive five-year, $25 million total, so a $5 million cap hit with Vegas, pretty much guaranteeing that Marc-Andre Fleury is on the move or possible buyout candidate. 
And then the last one, Tristan Jari, who was an RFA, signed a three-year $10.5 million, so roughly $3.5 million uh, AAV. That leaves some goaltending questions when it comes to uh, free agents. Let's let's start with the goaltenders here. And obviously the biggest, I guess, name more than anything, Henrik Lundqvist is now on the market after being bought out by the Rangers. Um, there's also Braden Holpe, Corey Crawford. I'm going off of cap hit from last year, by the way, not necessarily the order I think that they're in. Um, mm-hmm. So we got Lundqvist. Holpe, Crawford, Craig Anderson, um, after Senators didn't re-sign him. Jimmy Howard, same thing. Uh, those are your top five UFAs based off cap hit from last year. Then you got a couple RFAs as well. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Uh, Jacob Markstrom would be the next one for the UFAs. A couple yep. RFA goaltenders with Matt Murray, um, who the Pittsburgh obviously just signed Jari. Do they bring Murray back as well? That's a question. Um so I'm going to let you each start, uh, Irfan, you, you get us started. Give me your thoughts on one or two of those guys or a goalie that maybe might be on the move that we that would surprise us. Um, just I know three goalies signed today, but one also yesterday with Laurent Brassois signing with the Jets. I think that's right. a good $1.5 million deal, uh, good ceiling, uh, and he's a good backup for Hellebuck. But, yeah, you know, those five goalies or six goalies that you mentioned – the biggest name right now for me, um, I guess it's a bit of a bias, is Jacob Markstrom. What happens with him? In the sense that if if Vancouver can't re-sign him, there's so many other teams that need a goalie. And I think he would be the cheapest, well, he wouldn't be the cheapest option, but he'd be the goalie on the market that's the youngest out of everyone there, I believe. Um, uh, with a little bit more of a, a future, right? You look at Crawford, who has the experience. You have Holtby with the experience. You have Henrik Lundqvist with the experience, right? So those guys would be good backups. They'd be one B's potentially. Well, hopefully it would be a one B. So that would be interesting. But again, I don't know the market for goalies. Like you look at the guys that signed today, like Leonard, who had a fantastic year this past year, um, was really good when he was at the Islanders. Um, he gets 5 million. So what is the market for a goalie right now? Like what's the most anyone's going to really shell out? And I think that the issue is because of the flat, cap hit right like the 81.5 plus covid plus the expansion draft next year is how much are you willing to toss in on a goalie or how much are you willing to toss in on a player um and be willing to lose that player next year or um do you sign a player just so you know you go well this is a good player we're gonna put him out we're not gonna protect him and then that would mean that seattle goes and picks him up so you gotta make that decision um obviously Jacob Markster would be the guy if you went and signed him and then realized you don't want him anymore and Seattle picks him up there. That's sort of where I was going with it. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Kyle, your thoughts? Um, I do agree. Markstrom's probably the most interesting name out there. Um, I think the most popular name out there is going to be Holpe. I think with the season he had but the experience he has, I think it could be a contending team who may not like their goalie <clears throat> leaps um, <laughs> as a, a cheap alternative. Um, because I don't think if you look at Leonard, I don't think Holtby's getting anywhere close to five million dollars based on how Leonard's play, how, how Leonard played, what money he's getting. Um, so I think, you know, a, a, as we were saying, I, I think he could be a very cheap alternative for a starting goalie. Because if, if you sign him to say a three and a half, four million dollar deal, 
and you get the hope of he was two years ago, you're looking at absolute steal of a goaltender because you're getting a number one top 10 goalie in the league. But that's if he bounces back. Um, to me, Crawford's too injury prone. I don't think he's going to get big money. Um, Markstrom definitely is probably the hottest target on the market. Um, but I think Matt Murray's probably going to be the biggest, the, the biggest question mark. Now that Jari signed, I think Matt Murray's definitely the first one to go. Um, he's an RFA. Don't forget that. Yeah, it's going to be a trade. Hunter, it's going to be a signing trade. It's going to be what it's be, what it's going to be. But the biggest thing is, what can they get for him? Because right now, everybody in the NHL knows that Pittsburgh is desperate to get rid of Matt Murray now. Yeah. Because they do not have the money to re-sign him now. Now that they've signed Jari, because Matt Murray is not going to take a $2 million bridge deal for a year. There's no chance in hell he's going to do that. He's going to want actually money for a starting goaltender, and it's going to be from somebody else, not named the Penguin. Yeah, no, so, you're, you're yeah. right. To me, that's the most interesting one. Lundqvist, I think, could be a great signing as a backup veteran leadership for a young guy. You know, maybe maybe it's Pittsburgh who goes out and signs Lundqvist as a backup to mentor Jari, and especially in that division, he knows who everybody is. Right? To me, that's interesting for them. Um, but yeah, and I think, don't quote me on this, but honestly, I can see Leonard being a sign and trade. I can see because because nobody's taken that flurry cap hit. Unless Vegas has given up two first-round picks, nobody's taking a $7 million flurry cap. There's no chance. Especially, Unless as you, you need to get to the floor, though. Well, if, if you get to the floor, maybe. But Senators. even then, Vegas, Vegas is selling the farm to get rid of that. Senators. How it, maybe. But I believe <laughs> flurry has a no-trade clause. So that might be a hint issue. I think, right? he'd come. I think he'd play in Ottawa. Are you kidding me? That's close to home. Get him out of that god awful situation that he's in in Vegas after the you know soared through the back picture. I don't think he yeah. wants to play there. That's the problem right now. I I think he's done. Like, well, and, and I agree. I think I think the thing is is one of them is going to get traded. Um, and if you're looking around the league right now, that laner at five million dollars for five years, especially with a flat cap, that is looking like a, a great deal. But that's why I don't think they'll move him. Like, I don't think they can but, move him. Well, the only thing is, I think you could move at $5 million, getting Laner as a goalie, you could 100% move that contract easy, and you could probably get a King's Ransom for it, no pun intended. Because they're nice, like, but I'm like, Well, like, if you look at it, right? Like, you, you look at the top goalies, right? Um, Bobrovsky's making $10 million. Right now, I would take Laner over Bobrovsky in a heartbeat at half the money he's making. Yeah. yeah. Right? You could literally get a King's Ransom for the, for that contract. I'm not saying it's going to happen because it's a great contract, but I'm just saying you could get a lot in return for it. Yeah. I mean, even if they don't move it now, in two years when that expansion draft hits or next year, they can be like, oh, you know, he's great hit. Yeah. Let's move $5 him up. Dollars. Bring it. Fine. No problem. Yeah. yeah. For a goalie, that's not bad, right? Like mo- like right now, they're, they're spending $12 million on their goalie. Nobody's going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think – I still think either – Flurry's getting traded or he's getting bought out. I don't think they want to have him around. I just it's just not feasible at the moment. Okay. So um So if he gets traded, what's what's his trade value? Nothing. Nothing. Well it I think it depends on the team, honestly. Like as as Irfan said, like a team looking to get to the cap floor, they could look at that flurry. Like I'm gonna use Ottawa as the example, right? Like if I look at Ottawa, they have $43 million in cap space. Now, they have three forwards signed and four defensemen. But their goaltending situation at the moment is Anders Nielsen and Marcus Hogberg. 
You bring in Flurry for two years, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And they already have locked up Colin White and Thomas Shabbat for <laughs> long time, each at mm-hmm. least five years from here now. So you re-sign Brady Kachuk, and you you could literally sign everyone on your roster for less than twenty million at this point. Like no one outside of Brady Kachuk, who's an RFA next season anyway, so you don't even have to sign him this year. Yeah, um, they're still gonna have space. Like I don't I don't even I really don't think there's a concern at the moment. So they could go and be like, okay, for us just to get to the cap floor, this is a valuable piece. What do we give up? What do we try to take back? Do they maybe try to get Nick Haig, right? Because that would be a hu- that would be a huge piece on the back end to go with Shabbat. Could you imagine Nick mm-hmm. Haig and Thomas Shabbat in two years as a D partner? Like that would be that would be fun to watch. So. Yeah, for sure. And they've done business before, right? So I mean, exactly. So I think, and I think it would, it is a possibility. And there's a bunch of teams, obviously. Like, if we're looking at teams with the most cap space, you have Ottawa, forty-three. Buffalo has thirty-three. Jersey has twenty-six. I don't think Jersey's going to look at a goaltender though. Um, no. Detroit, twenty-five. They might pick him up. Like, how many players do they have need to sign still? Right. They don't have many. They don't have as many as the Senators, and they still have twenty-five million in cap space. And obviously, they just let Jimmy Howard go, and their goaltending duo right now is Jonathan Bernier and Calvin Pickard. Listen, as a Leaf fan, I watched both of those guys play. I would like Flurry over either of those guys every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Flurry's still very, very good. Like it's, it's sad that his situation just didn't work out. Or he's not working out. He's not as good as he used to be. I think that's the problem, is that everyone still sees him as that. They want him to be the flurry of his cup runs with the Pittsburgh, and they want him to be the flurry of the cup, the first run with Vegas. He's not that mm-hmm. guy. You have to understand that. But he's still a mm-hmm. very good goaltender, and he can help a, he can help young goaltenders get better. Like, Could you imagine if Fleury is helping train Calvin Pickard? Like, Pickard has the potential to be a very good goaltender in the NHL, but he's been in really crappy situations. And they have three young guys, like non-rostered goalies, who are going to play in the minors. If they can get time with Flurry. That's great. That's a perfect opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can even say that with Ottawa, right? Like Hogberg is yeah, somebody exactly. that they are so high on, but having Mark Mark Andre Flurry, the Flower, training you, it might make them a little better. I don't know. And sometimes it's just the honestly, it all comes down to the team's got to make it worth it because the team getting Flurry is giving up nothing in return. That's right. the biggest thing, right? So it's got to be what is Vegas willing to give them? The biggest mm-hmm. team I could see, I don't think it's Ottawa. I think it's Buffalo. I think it's the biggest yeah, team I could Seattle, see right? because I think with, with Eichel there and him being so vocal about not making the playoffs, I think the goaltending is one of the pieces they're missing, and I could see that being the case. But it's got to be Buffalo gets, as you said, Hag in return or Cody Glass or something like that where it's, okay, we'll give you a third or fourth round pick or whatever it may be but we're getting flurry and glass. Yeah, I think they're, uh, they're going for a forward. They're going for a forward if they're trying to get Yeah, and, and that's why I think I think the way Buffalo's set up right now, I think with Dolan and uh, Hirolaihu on the on the back end, or whatever the hell his name is, I don't know what the hell his name is. Henry Yokuharu. That's it, same difference. Um, Close enough. <laughs> and then, obviously, you have Eichel up front, and you, you have the pieces up front. Don't that, forget Ristolainen. Good. Like, oh, Ristolainen, well, they're potentially training Ristolainen, I believe, because I don't think they like him in that room, but that's a whole different story. Um, it's the pieces in place, right? If you can add a piece like Cody Glass, play him with Eichel, and then you shore up your goaltending with Flurry, 
I think that could honestly turn around that team, but it's got to be worth it. That's the biggest yeah, question because no, it's a $7 sure. million dollar cap hit, and you're basically making it easy for Vegas, who was a potentially standing cup the contender, I guess is what you could say. Yeah. Other $7 million they can go and spend on somebody else. Right? You sign a backup $1 million, and now you have a $6 million player. Could they toss Ristolainen back in that trade, for example? Because no. clearly they'll want him, but would they? The only the only thing is, for Vegas, they wouldn't do that. They'd rather give up a prospect because they don't want... I think Ristolainen's making like five and a half, six million dollars. So they don't want that cap. Five, two, five. Yeah, so they don't want that cap coming back. That's the biggest thing, right? Because with Flurry, it's... Flurry's not about keeping him or not keeping him. It's about Flurry, it's about cap. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I I could see them taking it back because that that shows that frees up about two million in cap space, roughly. Yeah. Vegas has three forwards that they need to that are RFAs or UFAs in Nick Cousins, Chandler Stevenson, and Thomas Nosek. Mm-hmm. I don't know who they're going to bring back from that because they have one, two, three, six. They have eleven forwards already signed. Yeah. Right. And then on the defensive end, they have six signed already. The two that aren't signed are John Merrill, who I don't think they're bringing back any. I'm not sure if they're bringing him back. And right. Derek England, who they're pretty much not bringing back anyway. He's 38. He might not even play next year. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they could bring in Ristolainen, maybe send back Alec Martinez. Alec Martinez was probably one of their better, if not their best defensemen okay. last Okay, well, here, I'll read off the five, though. I'll read off the five. You got Nate Schmidt, Shea Theodore, Alec Martinez, Braden McNabb, Nick Holden, and Zach Whitecloud. If you're sending somebody back, it's got to be Holden. Okay, so you send Holden back. His his cap hits 1.7. That's 3 mil in cap space that you've cleared off. Yeah, Yeah. and then you tender qualify, and you bring up guys like Jack Duggan. Um, Who else is there? Like, they have a bunch, like... Benjamin Jones is good, right? Uh, like they, they have... Jake. I, I can't yeah. say his last name. I can try. <laughs> to be honest, with that extra money, I think they re-signed Stevenson and Nosek. Um, yeah. But I'm saying, I, like, you, I, could, I, you could I, potentially bring somebody up too. You could for sure, but I, I think I think that third and fourth line for Vegas were probably two of their better lines, mm-hmm. um, based on forecheck, based on yeah. getting in the corner, all that kind of stuff. And I think. They want to try and keep that together, but I think they want to add more top-end scoring, right? To me, you look at a guy like Paul Stastny, didn't really bring a whole lot to that team at $6.5 million, right? Yeah. No, for sure. I, I, I think they, they want, so, you know, Cody Glass, one of those guys who make a cheap alternative, sure. But at a certain point, you got to give and take to try and get that flurry contract off. So Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, let's move on because that was all 12 minutes of our, com- of our allotted time, but we're going to keep going because we haven't talked, you know, actual – players we've talked goaltenders big names there there are some big big names available um my question really is who will move and you have the names of pietrangelo taylor hall uh tory crew tyson berry these are big names i know leaf fans don't like berry but he's still a he still would be considered a big free agent name um alex galchenyuk's a free agent who actually will end up moving? And if you had to pick one that you think won't move, why won't they be moving? Uh, Kyle, let's start with you this time. Um, the guy who's moving is Petrangelo. I think that's the easiest one to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they essentially, St. Louis essentially said, hey, test your luck. Here's our offer if you don't want it. 
We'll, we'll um, be here. We'll wait. <laughs> yeah. So and I, I think I think it's it's almost all but guaranteed he will leave. Okay. Um, I just I don't think St. Louis gave him a reasonable offer to actually stay. Wasn't it eight um, for eight? I don't I don't know if it was that high to be honest. I heard I heard no, it was eight. less than that. I think it was like six for eight to be honest or something. Six like or that. seven. I heard, yeah, I heard it was it was. Eight. So that's what uh, he wants, I think. But yeah, maybe. Yeah. And I, I think I think they offered him like six million dollars or something or seven million dollars. I think is what they offered him. And realistically, you're going to make more on the open market. Yes, the st- it's a flat cap, but defensemen like Petrangelo don't always reach free agency very often. Right? And it's one of those ones where if Sony signs it for $8 million, I think that's honestly a fair deal at $8 million. Yeah. You're not looking at P.K. Subban money where all of a sudden he just disappears and now he's a worthless cap hit. Um, but Petrangelo gives you options on both ends, right? Subban, I keep picking on him, but he was he's an offense-first guy, right? Yeah. He's not defense-first. Petrangelo's defense-first, and he'll chip in on power play and point shots in here and there. But he's the type of guy who's going to shut down the opposing line. That, that's his job, and yeah. guys don't reach free agency very often like that. Yeah, and you're looking um, at if you look at, if you put it at eight million, he's in the Jacob Truba, John Carlson, Brent Burns, Thomas Shabbat range. Those those guys are all better than eight million guys. But like, he has a higher ceiling, I think, than mm-hmm. half of those guys. Yeah, the, the, like, there's only there five yet, guys but... that make more than eight flat, and it's Eric Carlson is making eleven five. Which is a god awful contract. Worst contract in NHL. Uh, Drew Doughty's making eleven, which is still a little bit high for me. I think I don't think he's worth eleven mil. Roman Yossi's at nine, just just over nine million. PK Subin's at nine million, and then Oliver Ekman Larson is eight two five. Mm-hmm. And to me, Trangel's a better defenseman than half those guys. Yeah, I think I think the only, one I wouldn't, the only one I wouldn't put him above right now is Yossi. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- really I would I would put OEL in the conversation about the same level as Pietrangelo. So eight two five, I could yeah. see. Like I'm just saying, I think they're both very very valuable defensemen, right? So I could see the eight two five range for around the Ekman Larson deal. And I, I think the reason why Ekman Larson is making so much money is we were talking about cap floor, and that was literally Arizona's job was just trying to sell get to the floor. <laughs> It's like, hey, Ekman Larson, how much money do you want? Oh, I want 10. Okay, we'll give you 825. No problem. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's one of those. Like, OBL is one of the most underrated and overrated players at the scene. Like, to me, he's underrated based on his skill level, but he's overrated based on his overall play. Hmm. I think OEL is Eric Carlson light. I think he plays better defense than Eric Carlson. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying, though. I think he's paid for his offense. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but is better defensively. Eric Carlson is right. much better offensively, but worse defensively, and I think that's why OEL is overrated and underrated because he's overrated on his offensive skills. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's overrated under- offensively, but underrated defense. Underrated okay. defense. Okay, okay. Yeah. I was confused there. Saying, I was like, what? That's why I'm saying he's like Eric Carlson light because he's like he's he's yeah. the anti Carlson that offensive, but isn't. But he's better defensively. It's, it's he's, a weird. He's thing, the anti Carlson, is what you're saying. Anti-Carlson, but compared to Carlson. Type. Yeah. Like, they're compared side-by-side, yeah. side, but he's, like, yeah. the right. exact yeah. opposite. So, it, it's kind of like that. Um, and as for a guy staying, I think it's Tyler Tafoli. Um, Tyler Tafoli for the, the, the Canucks. I think he was that missing piece for them. And what really hurt Vancouver in early in the playoffs was him not being there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if he had a full playoffs and got going and really got into the system, I think Vancouver could have been even bigger of a threat than they already were. And um, I think I think that's probably one of the biggest pieces they're missing. Um, there were rumors that were potentially going they were gonna potentially trade Besser. 
or whatever was going on because he just wasn't meshing. I don't know. If they do, 100% Toffoli staying because he's going to really replace Besser, and it's what's going to happen. Mm, yeah. So if that does – either way, I still see them signing him. Um, another one I could see – I could honestly see them completely just not re-signing Markstrom and going with Demko, especially the way Demko finished that playoffs. And if they don't do that, Lundqvist ends up in Vancouver is my call. If they don't re-sign Markstrom – no, if they don't, you can get Lundqvist on like a veteran minimum contract yep. to, to train Demko. That would be perfect. To be honest, you yeah. can even sign, you can sign him for two million dollars, which which is probably going to be like what he actually is going to take is going to be like one point five million dollars. No, I know. But but with Demko on his rookie contract, still you could hundred percent make that work, no problem. And I, and, and that, that's my fix. All right, I like it, uh, Irfan. I'll let you go next, and then I'll save mine for last. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Petrangelo doesn't sign a long term contract right now because I think what he should do is eye that Seattle draft, and be the future like that seattle drop next year right yeah so sign a one-year deal for example i think no no hold on hold on sign a one or two-year deal for example and then let that team leave you out and let seattle pick you up because i think realistically the well, money contract there. would be over by the time the draft happens wouldn't it well if he does a one-year deal yes but if he does like a two-year deal yeah. which yeah. potentially then just leave them out and i think because of that like i said that before but the the flat cap rate is what's going to hurt a lot of teams sign somewhere and be like leave me out give me my money and leave me out and you know what i think he could be one of the first signings for seattle that's so he makes a quick phone call over to the seattle gm who's already in place saying hey listen i'm, I'm gonna sign a one-year deal i'll be a ufa make sure you offer me nine mil i will be yours for seven years sort of thing is that what you're looking at her <laughs> Potentially, and I know it might not happen, but I'm just saying that seeing how the Blues sort of disrespected him and went and signed Folk instead of their captain, um, it's, you know, it was money, right? Like Blues are yeah. up against the uh, Blues are up against it. I know, but like that's what I'm saying is like if he wants to play, but he wants to still be like he wants his own team sort of yeah. approach, then I think Seattle like see if he can hold off to the Seattle team and just sign a one year deal or a two year deal or something like that pretend he has like one one year left on his contract and then he's playing for his next one sort of thing i, I can see that happening um i like the Tofoli thing uh you said kyle i think he really really brought the canucks over i mean Tofoli, michael furlan like they brought grit to that team and i think if they were all healthy at the right time they they'd be insanely good um and i think with henrik lundquist he can fit anywhere and mold anybody and help anybody like you can if the Leafs have the cap space he'd be good with the Leafs for example because he'd be the solid backup that they don't have that we've right? never had that you've never sorry had. McElhaney I mean, McElhaney was a solid backup I mean wasn't really his didn't, fault. He just didn't he just win a cup <laughs> he did that's my point uh but you know what I mean like Lundqvist could go virtually anywhere and I think he doesn't yeah. get signed right away because they're going to play that market but there's no money. Like Tory Krug, for example, wants six, seven million dollars. He's not gonna get it. He's gonna go three and a half, four and a half because of where it's standing. So examples like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Krug was so actually. Who, so, who, so who's your mover guy? Petrangelo. Oh, my mover guy, Petrangelo. He he just oh. signs a, a one-year bridge or a two-year bridge and then ends up going to to Seattle. Yeah. Krug yeah. is funny because Krug's one of the guys that I actually think will move. Um, mm -hmm. I, he won't end up back in Boston. I'm I'm fairly confident about that. There's no money. Yeah. Um, there's a couple teams like if I'm Ottawa, because yeah. Shabbat's a, a right shot, isn't he? Am I wrong with left. that? Left. He's left. Left. Okay. Yeah. 
So that could, that could be problematic, but you get Shabbat. You guys love having people go to Ottawa. You think everybody's going there. Because they, they have cap space. They have I think space. what it is is because of the cap. I actually brought this conversation up with a buddy of mine who's a huge sense fan. I said, Tory Krug, quarterbacking your power play, a young power play, I think would make them better. And he's like, nah, Shabbat can do it. And I was like, yeah, but Shabbat's still not there. Like, he's getting the money, but he's still not there. Um, but, like, Tory Kirk could end up anywhere that needs power play help, needs a workhorse. He's or, tiny. He's feisty, or, right? or, or, he ends up in Colorado. Cup contending think, team needs some left side, like, top end left side defensemen. Because, obviously, the right side is locked down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, Uh-oh. Ottawa really doesn't have any cap space. Just saying. What are you talking about? They have cap space, but they have three forwards signed. I know. We I said that though. I I okay. did mention okay. that. They still have forty three million, and look at the forwards they have to sign. Yeah, Connor Brown's going to get a big extension based on how he played this year. Right, but how Chris, big of an extension? How 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 much money is Connor Brown going to get? Four, five? Probably, probably three or four, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So we still have forty not, million. Like, still a lot of money. <laughs> No, I know, but I'm just saying Nicholas Paul is going to get Duclair. You're going to be paying. Duclair, Duclair is the big contract. That's and my Chris point. Tier, Chris Tierney, you're probably going to honestly end up paying four plus million dollars to keep him. I don't know. About that. When, when he came over to Ottawa, it's, it was huge. I know. I don't know if it's that big, but yes, I, I know that they need to sign players, and I said that. But yeah. they have cap space. They're also um, cheap, so they're not going to overpay any of these guys. I'm well, very interested to see where they're, they're going to go bargain. Are. They're going to go bargain hunting. That's I'm interested to see where Tyson Berry ends up because mm. we've talked about it. He he didn't fit in Toronto necessarily, but he's not a bad defensive hockey player. Like people, people in Toronto blew it out of the water that he was going to be the savior on the right side, and he was never going to be the savior on the right side. He was going to be a good one B pair, possibly drop down to the second pair. Right, like that was that was his expected range in my head, at least after watching him in Colorado. And I think he filled that role. He's a good defensive hockey player. 39 points in 70 games is also nothing to scoff at. But listen, if you if you need a right-shot defenseman who's not going to make any massive mistakes on the defensive end, he's not going to be perfect, but he doesn't make the big mistakes, yep. They that would be a very good pickup for any team that needs a, would, just a second-line right-shot defenseman. Would Tyson Berry be a good pick for the Winnipeg Jets? Considering they lost Truba and Myers to and and Bufflin, yeah. so three right-handed shots in the last year. Yeah, I could I could see the, that. Yeah. The only thing I could see with that is Winnipeg's going to have the exact same aspirations as the Leafs did. Yeah. Bringing him in, they think they think he's going to be the number one. He wants to be paid like a one-two defenseman, but I don't think he is a one-two defenseman. No, I agree with that. I, I think he's more of a three-four, but he wants to get paid like a one-two. So mm-hmm. I think his I think his market is going to be very limited, and it's going to be very specific for a team who has cap space but already has that number one defenseman in place yeah. that can play with him. So it's going to be very interesting, as Nick said, where he goes, because it's got to be the right place, or else it's going to be another catastrophe like, like it was this year, really. Which, again, like that is it, the most ridiculous thing in my head, that it was considered a catastrophe, because he wasn't a catastrophe. No, it, it, it's, it's based on expectations. No, right? I know. When you, when I you agree. go sign a defenseman for you know, $6 million contract, you're expecting him to be the grace of God, and going to take your team to the next level. I know, 100%. I agree with you. I'm just saying, like, I, I can't believe that he's always considered, he will always be considered an absolute catastrophe in Leafland, and he yeah. wasn't. He was no, not the problem with this team. Yeah. No, but they need problems. a scapegoat, right? Like, they need a scapegoat. They had Jake Gardner last the year before. You just have to pick one player, and they 
they picked Tyson Berry and obviously Cody Cece, but um, that's a whole story. <laughs> hold on, Cody Cece oh. deserves some of it. Some, Honestly, not all, my my, big, my biggest question mark is Taylor Hall. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna get that was my next guy. So you, you cut yeah. me off, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> no, it's just it's one of those ones where it, it's very much like Tyson Berry. It's a very specific market of who's gonna take it because he wants to be. I know where like, he's going. Where's I have I have I'm like 85 percent sure he ends up in Colorado. That's where all the talk is. It's a perfect fit. He doesn't have to be the top line guy, but he can get top line minutes if they want to put uh, Landeskog on that second line. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, he drops down to the second line and he gets to play with a solid second line group there too. Listen, it's not. I think it's the most ideal fit at this point. At I, all the what points. are they going to pay him though? Are they going to pay him more than McKinnon's making? Because that's what he's going to get. No. No, but that would mean that would mean he takes the hit, right? Like he thinks he's worth nine million, just like Tyson Berry thinks he's worth seven plus, right? He so, uh, let me let me correct that. He might get seven at Colorado. Like McKinnon's contract is super team friendly, and I don't like well, and, no one's going to do that again. And, and that's what, and that's what I think. I think the biggest problem with Colorado is because they have such great contracts, they're not willing to pay those guys more. Than they should. Like Rantanen got money purely because of his RFA status, but even then, Rantanen got a pretty good deal because of where he is. Yeah. If he was yeah. an RFA on another team, he would have got ten and a half, eleven million, probably. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. it's because he's in Colorado. So to me, that's one of those ones where do you take a hit to go that team potentially, um, or I'm do you so, look at it? As, I think he could do uh, a one-year deal with Colorado. Like that's what I'm thinking in my head. And then to re, to Seattle. recoup what happened in Arizona and everything else, give him a one-year deal, put him at five, five, six mil for a year, yeah. right? Play him on those top two lines with either McKinnon or Kadri as his centerman, and have let him let him recoup his value. And then if you don't like him by the trade deadline, move him. Mm-hmm. If he's playing well, thing. keep him for a cup run. I don't care. He wants his money because he wants to settle down now, I think. I don't think he wants to keep moving around, right? And that's the thing. But if he wants his money, how many people are realistically going to offer him more than six? This this offseason, realistically, this offseason, who's going to offer him more than six? I, I, have, coyotes? I have two two people that I think are, are going to offer him that. I think it's the Rangers. Okay. Because um, they have the money. They, they just bought out Lundqvist. Right. Yes, it's going to yeah. be there but on a, more of a long-term deal. They have $44 million in cap space next year. Okay. Right? So they might do a more back-end, back-ended deal, whereas, you know, this year you're making six and a half, but next year you're making eight and a half. But eight it's and AAV, half, right? Like, that's the problem. It's the AAV. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm just saying more in, in, in his perspective for money-wise, he knows he's not going to maybe not get as much this year. Yeah. Um, but if they backload the deal, it could be different. Because right. really, if he signs a one-year deal, is he really going to make more next year? No, because the cap's still flat. It's not going to change any difference. Next year, it, it, there's a possibility it changes, though. And what I'm saying is, based off of what he did... No, it's just one year that it's flat for sure. Next year, there's a possibility it goes up, but there's a chance that it stays flat. But my question is, based off of what he did in Arizona, where he was good and then disappeared, and was good and disappeared, right? Who's going to really offer that long-term? That's what I'm saying. Take the one-year deal. You said the Rangers. Who was your other team? Florida. Florida, right? I think, I think with, with losing Dadnoff and Hoffman potentially, yeah. he fits in perfectly on that first line. And I would honestly be super interested to see how he plays with Barkov. That'd be mm-hmm. that right. would be it would, make, it would make more sense, right? Like he would yeah. he would you would replace the salary and then also give him and, a chance to play with a better player. If, if he truly wants that money, 
Florida doesn't have income tax, so you're making more money. <laughs> right, but again, like I, Florida was my second team for him. Um, but I just think the fit in Colorado is perfect for a year. Just sign the one-year deal. Go off. Do your thing after. We don't care. Um, okay, any last free agent thoughts before we close this bad boy out, gentlemen? I, honestly, I, I, I think I think it's going to be a lot slower than people think. I don't think deals are going to come left, right, center as soon as it opens. No, mm. there'll be two. That's my prediction. On day one, there will be two signings. Um, and honestly, I think it's going to be a lot of a lot of lower money deals that people aren't expecting. Um, like I think you look at like Shattenkirk just won a Stanley Cup, right? Took a took a big hit on one of these deals as a bounce back. Is he going to get his money this year? Probably not. No. You know, will he get an increase? Hundred percent. But is he going to get the five million dollar deal that everybody thinks he wants to get? No. He'll get two and a half, three. Just based on how it is. So I think it's gonna be a lot slower and a lot less average than people think. Mm-hmm. I think there will be a couple of deals where you're like, hey, that's a lot of money to give up. But I think it's because of what we were talking earlier. It's the cap floor. Right. And right. the biggest thing is the expansion draft next year. Yeah. That's the yeah. biggest thing. People are gonna be smart about their signings. And I think there's gonna be a lot less no trade clauses and no movement clauses given out purely because of that that expansion draft next year. Yep. Hundred percent. Yeah. I predict one big trade. I don't know who it's going to be, but one big trade, just one. I know like there's there's Ekman Larson who's been thrown around. Patrick Liney's name's been thrown around. Um, Jake DeBrusque, Tuka Rask. Like you look at uh, Petrangelo. Well, he's a UFA, but like there's going to be one massive thing, and it's going to be like, okay, all right, that that's all right, that we're officially of started. <laughs> yeah, there's one. There's one, but I think uh, like I said before, I don't. With the way that the cap and the way the situation is, it's going to be very tough for players to get a contract. It's going to, it's going to be like the MLB a couple years back, where you know there wasn't really a market except for like two guys, and you're like, okay, there's nothing moving. So yeah, that was the yeah. uh, Harper Machado year, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, okay, I got two things. I'm gonna. Max Domi is an RFA. Does anybody try to sign him to a uh, offer sheet? No. What is he Just worth if somebody offer sheets him though? No, but like if somebody offer sheets him, what's he worth? Like one second round pick or something? I, I, it would depend on how much they offer, right? So yeah. To be honest, I, I feel like if anybody was going to offer sheet, it was last year was the late the year with Point Marner and Randman. That was the year to do an offer sheet. Fair enough. Um, but I just just this year, especially with how Domi's played. I think if somebody's going to offer him, it's going to be for a cheaper contract, and Montreal will just match it if that's the case. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not denying that. I was just curious if... No, he stays in Montreal, I think. Yeah. Okay, and then the last question before we get our final thoughts for the week and we get out of here. Who does OEL play for next year? I just want a team name. I want no explanation. Very simple here, boys. Irfan, who... Does Oliver Ekman Larson play for next season? Coyotes. Okay, Kyle. Same. I don't. I don't. I don't think any can move. Anybody can move that contract. Okay. I would like to agree with you. I'm interested though. Like the, all the trade talk that's going around, I think it's Boston, Colorado, Boston and- Vancouver are all up in the top there of his available to trade to list. So that'll be interesting. Um. If he ends up in Colorado, 
my God. <laughs> I'm having a good off season if he ends up in Colorado. I was going to say, the, every, every single free agent signing with Colorado. I said two. It was Hull, and yeah, he's not also there. not a free agency. Trangelo's going to go there. OEL is going to go there. No, he won't go. I don't think for like less than goes a million. Yeah, we'll, we'll sign Markstrom as a third stringer just for the hell of it. Uh, let's be, be fair. If Markstrom post. signs, he's our number one. I'm sorry. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> not happening, though. Not, not even in the conversation at the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it will be an interesting offseason because of the, the so, solid cap. Just, just for perspective. Yes, ma'am. For, um, for, for a second-round pick, it would have to be below $4.3 million for a second-round pick. We are. Okay. Well, he made three... 3.125 last year. Yeah. Yes. So the biggest thing, like, realistically, a team would have to What's a roughly them, five, probably, what's a $5 million contract, roughly? So 4.227438 to 6.4, basically, is a first and a third. First yeah. and a third. He's not worth yeah. So to me, that's too much. Like, but in a perspective, that is what Tampa gave up for Coleman. Actually, right. I think they gave up a first and a second for Coleman. I thought it was just a first. Yeah. And, I thought it was two picks. Wasn't it two picks? I thought it was one pick. Regardless. Whatever. It was a first. Coleman was worth a first. So if you're a contending team, is it worth it to get Domi on that team? And that was my that was why I asked. If you throw mm-hmm. a five five million five point five million dollar contract at him on an offer sheet, he's worth about five point five, I think, as a second line center. I, I think I think you I think you would have to take a drastic step compared to where he was. That's the only thing for me. Mm-hmm. Because he's Montreal, on a god awful Montreal team that they beat Pittsburgh, so, though. That's what I mean, though. But, but we said Montreal's god awful, but they won their first round series. So it's one of those ones. And Domi was non existent in that series. Yeah. Right? So it's one of those ones. Is he worth it to a contending team to be that guy at that money value? That's the biggest thing. To like, me, I, th- I think he's no more than a 4.5. Yeah. But I didn't think that's even pushing it. I think he's like a 4.2. I don't think yeah. he's he's even at that next step worth like maybe a second round pick if you're going to offer sheet him, but I don't think anything more and than it, that. I think the biggest thing for Montreal is do you match that at 4.2 or do you let him go and say, Hey, we'll take our second round pick or Hey, we'll take our first and third. Yeah. No problem. Right. It's one of those ones where it's if different. A first and third, they'll take it a second. Probably not. Yeah. Second, second, I think they'll probably resign him. Yeah. Um, and potentially move, maybe even look to move him at the trade deadline and get a first round pick. It's a whole different story. There but, you go. Right. I think the biggest thing you got to contend with, right? It's one of those. If you didn't do an offer sheet for Marner, Rantanen, and Point last year, who are game changers and difference makers, mm-hmm. do you make an offer sheet on a guy who may not be a game changer in your lineup? That's 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 my biggest question. I think on any other team, he's a he's a bottom six forward, and that's the reality of the situation. As, as crappy as that sounds, and I know Montreal wants him to be a top six, but he's not. He's a bottom six forward. Hold on, this is also a guy who had 72 points just two years ago. True. Right? Like, he's not a bum. He's played no, he's he's played not, on a crappy not. Canadians team, and he was yeah. he was one of the leaders on the team this year in points. I At 4.5, I think it's mm-hmm. a fair offer. You okay. throw 4.5, and that gives, what is it? 4.5 puts you in the first and third round pick scenario right and obviously not every team can do that there's only some teams that can meet that requirement at the moment um but you throw a 4.5 million dollar contract on your second line as a winger because i forgot he's a winger not a center yeah that 
doesn't look that bad, especially a guy who has the potential to be a 30-goal scorer. Hasn't reached it yet in his four seasons, but he's still young. He's been yeah. playing with bad, bad partners for a long time. Put him on a good team, like, I, I'm not saying Colorado would do this, but if you put him on that second line with Colorado with Nazem Kadri as his centerman, he yeah. he almost inevitably becomes a 30-goal scorer, in my opinion. Mm. Right? Yeah, so... so- you, you look at comparable contracts, right? You look at Kaloran's making 4.45. Uh, Marcus Johansson's making 4.5, but that was a terrible signing anyways. Um, Kadri's making 4.5, right? Like, would you put him on the same level as Kadri right now? Not right now, no. but he's also five years younger. Yeah, so like... So like, when, did, when did Kadri sign that deal, though? When he was 23? 23, 24, I think you have something like that. Yeah, that's what Domi is. No, no. So, so was I, I he that the good biggest, back then? <laughs> the biggest comparable right now, I think, would be Colin White. If you look yeah. at Ottawa, mm-hmm. right? He's making four point seven five. Right? It's so, up there, yeah. That's my. So point. I, I think the biggest comparable is is he is he as good as Colin White? He's but shown flashes. I'd argue that, that he's better. I argue that he's better, and I've watched Colin White for a couple of years. I'd argue that he's better. Yeah. That's my point, so, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm okay. I guess that works out then. And that's why I asked about don't like like that's why I'm interested to see if someone might offer Sheet because you Kyle, you brought up the fact that no one offers Sheeted in the Marner year and everything. But think about how much they would have had to give up for that offer sheet, right? Like yeah. Marner was Marner's in the ten million range. You're giving up two first round picks, a second round pick, and a third round pick. Yeah. That's a lot of picks. Well, and it, if you it, go it over is. if you hit eleven Right, which was pretty much the threshold at which the Leafs would not match. You're giving up four first round picks. Yeah, Unless I you're think that's why we didn't see. But that's yeah. why we didn't see any big offer sheets because it's giving up so much of your future for one player. Yeah, and but it, it's but but it's the biggest thing for that is established superstar versus potential superstar. Right. the biggest thing. I I, I, right. under, I understand that too, but my yeah, my no, statement no, is is that yeah. in this in this scenario, you're giving up mm-hmm. a potentially a first round pick, and a third round pick, yeah. as opposed to four first round picks. It's well, a lot easier like, to make that offer sheet. Like in my opinion, it was one of those like I think Ottawa probably should have signed the Marner last year, because I think if if you you think Ottawa Ottawa was stockpiling picks, yeah. right? Even yeah. if they lose their own picks, they had. San Jose's first round pick. They have Columbus's first round pick. They have like fourteen hundred second round picks. <laughs> right? It's one of those. Yeah. It's even if they lose their own, they have four other ones they can pick with. Right? And as, if yeah. they're comfortable yeah. with their drafting department, you don't need those other picks. Right. Right. It's one of those ones where okay, we got a superstar now. We can build around him. We have Shabbat. We have Marner on the like we have Marner on the front, Shabbat on the back. We're good for our superstar corner like cornerstone. Cornerstone franchise players. Right? And then it would have made it, sense, yeah. Yeah. And then you go, oh hey, by the way, you know, we can get Lafreniere, we can get Drysdale, we can get whatever, whoever you can get. Right? That's who they should get, but that's a different issue. Well, yeah, that's what I'm sorry. We'll get, when is the draft again? Three days. Three days. So next weekend. We should we should uh well, I want to talk about the draft beforehand, but we'll, we'll we'll talk about that after the three of us. Um, okay, that went on way longer than it needed to, but that's us. That's kind of expected. 
Um, final thoughts for the week. Irfan, start us off. Keep it quick. Cool. Uh, MLB Divisional Series ready to go. I'm looking forward to see the A's and the Astros. Mike Fires versus his former team. And the fact that the Marlins have won in every postseason they've been in, ridiculous stat. That's my final thought. Damn, you took mine. Sorry. It's all good. Kyle? Um, my dad told me this this morning. We suck at predictions. Um, AL Central, all gone. Um, and we <laughs> okay, have, but who would have predicted? Hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Who would have predicted that? No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, though. Because we had, I'm pretty sure we had White Sox, Cleveland, and the Twins all as high aspirations potentially going to the finals. And good night. Done and done. In the good night, here. Kite. <laughs> so, to me, it's the unexpected nature of the MLB playoffs. Um, I'm interested to see how it is. Uh, now with a five-game series instead of three games, it's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And the predictions did not go the way that we – anyone anticipate we had the marlins out too with no problems they swept the cubs so yeah. <laughs> that tells you all you need to know right we there. we got the yankees and the rays right boys <laughs> yeah we got that well didn't someone take cleveland i don't remember no i i, I think i think the biggest thing we said for cleveland was pitching versus power bats and power bats won right fair enough but yeah now it's been entertaining to watch um my final thought for the week is good old canadian boy josh naylor what a postseason, like a first postseason appearance for that kid. First five at-bats gets hit, home run, double, like just off the charts. And then my favorite part was he got pulled in game two for a pinch hitter. And then the pinch hitter went and like tied the game or gave the gave the team the lead. They ended up yeah, losing the game, the game anyway, but whatever. Did you see his reaction? Awesome. That is a team player right there. That is the kind of player you want on your team. Um, His initial I, reaction, though, he was like, oh, really? Well, and yeah, then, but, I mean, that's anybody's initial reaction yeah. when you're getting pulled. But then he goes and not only cheers for the guy, like, he was falling out of the dugout. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even, like, a little bit. He was almost on the dirt with his head, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and to think he was the add-in piece to that deal... That was, that was what I was going to say. Him and Cal Quantrill going back to the Indians in the Clevenger deal. Those look like two solid pieces now. And mm-hmm. I know like I'm, we're a little biased because he is a Mississauga boy. Um, but, man, that was fun to watch. And just to see his, his energy that he brought to that team in the playoffs was something I don't think anyone expected. I know for, for sure I had no, no expectation of him in the playoffs, and he exceeded everything. Absolutely. Um, all right, that'll do it for this week. Next week, we will be back. Haven't really figured out what we're going to talk about next week, but there's lots that could happen in the next few weeks. We'll definitely talk about the WNBA final, um, who won it. Uh, we could potentially be talking about an NBA champion. Obviously, we didn't talk NBA this week, but Heat down two after the first two games, and they are injury plagued, so that'll be that'll be a tough hole to crawl out of. Um, by the way, that new finals logo is god-awful. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I guess that'll do it for this week. If you want to follow us, make sure you follow each of us. Uh, you can find Kyle at Kyle Vardy on Twitter. Wait, Make sure you wish him a happy birthday today. <laughs> um, follow Irfan at Irfan Manji, and you can follow myself at Nick McVicker. If you want to follow our other shows as well, we have three on the network now. This one, at Garage Door Sport on Twitter, at Garage Door Sports on Instagram. 
Irfan has his own soccer show, which is a weekly show, Touchline Thoughts, and it's Touchline TH on Twitter, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Perfect. I knew I got it. And then you can also follow our hockey show hosted by Ryan Haslett at 20 Minutes on Ice. Um, make sure you follow everything. Make sure you check the website. There will be a lot of fun things coming out in the next few weeks. We're very excited about some expansion, some other stuff that we're doing. Also, make sure you check our weekly recaps on the NFL done by our football analyst, Wade Zanketa. For yeah, Kyle. Read, boys. Sorry, what? I said he's a good read. He is. Sorry. It's very entertaining. I, I was just so focused and I heard you talk. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that'll do it for Kyle Vardy and Irfan Manji. My name is Nick McVicker, and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>